Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good morning, everyone. It is Thursday, August the 18th, 2022. It is currently 1132 a.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central Studios located right here in Abilene, Texas. What makes a worldview truly Christian? What makes a worldview, what makes a perspective truly biblical? Now, I know, I know, I know what you're saying. You're like, wait, wait, why am I listening to this? It's obvious what makes a a worldview Christian. It's obvious what makes a perspective or a worldview biblical because it comes from the Bible. I mean, come on now. You should know that. Okay, okay, calm down, calm down. I'm asking the question. Because a lot of times when I hear Christians offer up their so-called biblical perspective, they offer up their so-called Christian worldview, I find myself disagreeing. I find myself looking at it going, is that really biblical? Is that really Christian? I, I don't think it is. I think maybe they can find a verse or two to try to prop up or support their position but I think for a, a for a worldview or for a perspective to be truly Christian, to be truly biblical, it has to be one that is consistent, not with just one or two scriptures, but with everything in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation and everything in between. It has to be consistent with the totality of scripture. It has to be consistent with everything in the Bible. And it has to be consistent even with itself. It has to make sense. It can't, it can't be, well, you make, you have one standard here, but a different standard over here and it contradicts itself. It has to be something that I think has some kind of a logical consistency. It's consistent with the totality of scripture. But so much what is put forth is supposedly biblical and Christian. I, I just constantly find myself in opposite opposition to it. And I hate that. I really do because there's nothing worse than trying to preach and teach and do Christian podcasting. And you find yourself at times that the people who are most upset with you, the people who basically, you know, send the most angry emails are professing Christians. I mean, we, we all know the story. If you've been a long time listener to this program, I used to be on the radio. I literally was kicked off the radio as my program was airing. Literally, in the middle of my program, I was told, you're finished, you're done, you're, this, that, it's over. Like, like that, there was not going to be another broadcast to say goodbye. I was kicked off the air. That's crazy. So sometimes I find myself, and I, I hate to say this, that I feel like an outsider. I feel like I'm on the outside and I don't belong within a, a large portion of the Christian world. I just, and I, I feel in some ways that it has has gotten worse, especially with the political hijacking of the church, because it, I think the church has been so politically hijacked. And then Christians say, no, we have a Christian worldview. We have a biblical worldview. I'm like, I don't know if that's that Christian or if that's that biblical, because I think it's more political. And people are like, how dare you say that? But, but, but I'm really, 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 really struggling with this entire concept and and really, this struggle started. I mean, it, it's always there in some way, shape, or form because I constantly feel like I'm 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 an outsider looking in. But it really got bad yesterday morning. Yesterday morning, I heard an, a a podcast episode, and I was and I made it maybe two minutes, three minutes into it, and I stopped and I'm like, no, I. That just doesn't make any sense. But here's the situation. When I play the audio, I would, if I was, uh, if I was to place a bet, if I was to gamble, I would put my money on that probably well over 50%, probably well over 70% of the people who hear this program are going to agree with the audio that I'm going to play. 
which means I'm going to find myself in disagreement with probably over 70% of my audience. Now, any rational person would say, then don't do this broadcast, right? Just don't do this. Because if you do so, you're going to lose subscribers. You're going to lose listeners. But do I do a theology podcast just so that I can have listeners and just so that I can have subscribers? Or do I do a theology podcast so that I can try to present what I think is the most biblically sound theology possible? And sometimes what may be, I think, most biblical and theological isn't always going to be the most accepted within the church at large. Now, I'm going to put forth my perspective here. My perspective, I believe, is biblical. I believe it's consistent with church history. My perspective, it says this, that every single Christian, every single Christian, whether a pastor, whether a deacon, elder, Sunday school teacher, usher, song director, I don't care what position they hold, I don't care lay person, I don't care what they are, anyone who professes a faith in Jesus Christ, here is a reality that is true of them. They still have a depraved nature. They still have a sinful nature. And that sinful nature is obviously inside of them. So internally, inside every Christian is constant desires and lust and feelings that want and crave that which goes against the Bible. And we constantly are trying to mortify it and fight against it. We fail and we struggle, but we have, we have inside of us a sinful nature that says, no, be prideful. No, be angry. No, demand revenge. No, don't turn the other cheek. Hate that person. Gossip about that person. Slander that person. Oh, you want this. Lust for that. Desire that. It's there. We can, you can put on the suit. You can put on the tie. You can cut your hair short. You can, you can shave the beard. You can stop listening to rock and roll and watching Netflix. You can do all of, you can, you can, you can clean. I hate to see this. You can clean up the pig, but it's still a pig. You can clean us up but we're still sinners. Now, I'm not saying we should not fight against it. I'm not saying we shouldn't strive against it. But the reality is inside all of us, inside all of us, someone just says, I'm the most depraved, messed up person I know. No, well, because you obviously don't know me very well because I'm the most depraved, messed up person I know. Inside of us, if, if, if you, if, if someone, if we had this in churches, right, where when you walked through the door, like you, you come walking through the door, like, sir, ma'am, I need you to step over to the right and walk through the scanner. And as soon as it, you walk through the scanner, right there on the big screen in the sanctuary, it showed everything in your heart, everything that you desire, everything you lust for, everything. I guarantee you, we would all be so embarrassed and so shocked. And we'd be like, oh, how can you, how can we? Yeah, until you walk through the scanner, then you'll be like, oh, okay. Because, because what's inside of us? Yes, we try to fight against it and we should, but we have to acknowledge what's inside of us. So here is the question. So what makes a worldview truly Christian? My perspective is it's we start with the idea, with the truth. This is not a hypothesis. This is not a theory. I believe it's dogmatic biblical truth. Every person has a sinful, depraved nature, even after conversion, and we will have that until glorification. Sanctification is the ongoing battle with that depraved nature. Now, the things I want to do, well, guess what you're going to find out? You, the things you want to do, you don't do, and the things you don't want to do, you're going to end up doing. It's going to be a constant battle. But if we, if we deny that reality, well, then... Then I think, I think we stop, it stops becoming biblical Christianity and it becomes dress up. It becomes pretend. The reality is we've got this inside of us. Now, here's the question. Because of what's inside of you internally, like it's the desire, it's the feeling, it's the lust, it's whatever it is, it's inside of you. 
Should you be disqualified? Should you be punished because of what's inside of you? It's not showing up in action. In fact, you are acknowledging I have this desire inside of me, but I am I am committed to not acting upon it. But is should someone say, well, who cares if you're not going to act upon it? You've got the desire inside of you. You're disqualified. You should be church disciplined or you, whatever the case may be, you can't do this and you can't do that because you have the desire inside of you. So you're, you're finished. You're done. We, we don't typically think that way about most things in the lives of Christians, right? Because I don't know if you know this, every pastor standing behind the pulpit in your church, there's some things going on inside that person that you don't want to know, and he doesn't want you to know. Now, he may not act upon it, but does he, do you remove him because of the what's going on internally? What if he was to admit to everyone, hey, guys, everyone, Internally, I'm having some strong desires. I'm I'm struggling with these desires. You, oh, how get out of the pulpit? Well, then should you bring everyone up and say, well, what desires are you struggling with? Get out of the church. Now, why am I talking about this on a Thursday morning? We're gonna we're gonna go to the audio clip. This aired on Wednesday, I believe. It's another podcast I subscribe to. Again, I always, I listen to so many things that can always lead to, I don't know, 500 different series here on the Theology Central podcast. But I heard this. I may be the only one bothered by it. You you may go, man, he sure made a big deal. He he sure built this up. He sh- He spent... 13 minutes building up this big intro, and that's it. You may not think it's a big deal, but I, well, you can just have your own reaction. Here we go. Wednesday, August 17th, having a conversation concerning today's headlines and real-life challenges. I'm Tom Lamprecht, along with Pastor Harry Reeder. Stay with us as we apply a biblical worldview with gospel solutions to put the issues of today in. Okay, biblical worldview. They're going to they're going to apply a biblical worldview to today's issues. They're going to p- provide a biblical worldview. My question is, what is a biblical worldview? Are they getting ready to apply a biblical worldview? Are they getting ready to mention a biblical worldview? Here we go. Perspective. A recent article out of the Gospel Coalition reports that the Christian Reformed Church last month voted 123 to 53 to affirm that unchastity in the Heidelberg Catechism includes adultery, premarital sex, extramarital sex, polyamory, pornography, and homosexual sex. The move wasn't just an affirmation of biblical sexuality, but also a call for church discipline for congregations that dissent. That was a startling story when it came out. As you know, the PCA, we had our General Assembly and made some pretty clear declarative statements concerning biblical sexuality, as well as the standards for ordination, and that anyone identifying as a gay Christian, even though they declare themselves celibate, Our overtures, which now must be approved through the presbyteries, declared that such are not qualified for ordination. So if someone identifies as being a homosexual, this would mean that they acknowledge that they are attracted and they desire a relationship and physical intimacy with someone of the same sex. However, they say that they are going to live a celibate life. That would seem to indicate, hey, I desire this. However, I know that that action is unbiblical. I'm going to remain celibate. The denomination he's a part of, I think is Presbyterian Church 
uh, PCA, Presbyterian Church America, I think, I think it's what it stands for. His church, they made a de- declaration, you are not qualified for ordination. You cannot be ordained. You identify as a homosexual. Hey, I'm attracted to people of the same sex. That's what I want. That's what I desire. But I'm going to live a celibate lifestyle. I'm not going to engage in that. Sorry, you're disqualified. Sorry, you can't be a pastor. However, heterosexuals can become pastors, even though they have desires inside of them for probably all kinds of things. So heterosexuals can have an internal desire and be ordained. Homosexuals cannot be ordained because of their internal desire. How is that biblical? How is that consistent in any meaningful way? Now, I know immediately I'm going to get pushback. You're like, no, 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 because homosexuality, I am not, I am not saying someone living the homosexual lifestyle. This is someone acknowledging the reality of the desire, but seemingly willing to say, I'm going to live celibate. And, and, and it's almost the way he said that. Well, they, they claim they're going to live a celibate life. They claim. You know, like, you know, like there's no way someone with homosexual desires could be, could live a celibate lifestyle because, you know, heterosexuals do such a great job living a celibate lifestyle. You know, I mean, so, I mean, heterosexuals never commit fornication, never commit adultery, never look at pornography, never do anything. It's only homosexuals. I mean, I mean, heterosexuals have a great, a great track record of living celibate lifestyles. I mean, great. I mean, It's got to be up there with like 99.9%. Give me a break. I, I, I don't understand this. This is saying because of your internal desire, you are disqualified. Well, who could be qualified? Because you would have to take every internal desire that is not biblical, that is not godly, that is not holy, and say you're disqualified because of your internal desire. That seems to me to be majorly problematic, considering, depending on the statistics you look at, and I know some people hate these statistics, but if you look at it, And most of these statistics come when they poll pastors in an anonymous way, right, where the pastors are not going to be outed. You look at some of the statistics of 50%, 60% of pastors acknowledge and claim and admit struggles with pornography. So wait a minute. So the heterosexual pastor struggling with pornography, it's okay. Now, of course, if he got caught looking at the pornography, then people would be like, crucify him, stone the heathen. Of course, we understand that. But that's, that's one thing. The, the engagement with it. I, okay. That's fine. But the desire for it. So what do we, I mean, what do you do? I mean, I, basically what this says is, Hey, if, if you have the desire, if you have the desire, don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. Don't admit it. Now, listen, I am very aware. Well, if someone identifies as homosexual, they're going to live a celibate lifestyle. Should they be ordained? I, the question that should be raised, well, can someone who is not married be ordained? Because some people read the qualifications of the husband of one wife as saying a requirement for marriage. Others read it as, no, it's just saying you have to be basically a one woman man. You cannot, you know, have multiple wives and you, you, you can't, that, most people go with that direct. Well, I don't know about most. It, there's different perspectives on that, that either it's a requirement to be married or it's a requirement to only be married to one woman. You, you, you can't be a polygamist. All right. Um, okay. Someone just asked a question. Do you know why he would identify as a homosexual? I think he would say that he has homosexual desires. Now, that's a good question. I think for some, if you, if you come to the conclusion, hey, look, I'm never going to be attracted to anyone of the opposite sex. I'm not. I don't desire that. Don't want that. Doesn't, doesn't do anything for me. So clearly, 
I'm going to identify as a homosexual. I'm not a heterosexual because I don't desire relations with people of the opposite sex. I desire the relationship with the same. So I, maybe we could, I think it's, I put it this way. I would say it's an important question to ask. So why do you identify yourself? I think you identify yourself because you realize it's more than just a passing desire. It's just, that's just the way I am. That's just the way I am. I, I can't explain it. I mean, like, just like for me as a heterosexual, I can't explain I mean, girls, women, I mean, you know, when I was young, girls, older, women, okay, they're attractive. That's that's where I'm, draw, I'm drawn to, okay? I, I never had to think about it. So, I, I mean, I'm a heterosexual because clearly that's where I'm attracted to. That's the direction I, I would choose to go, right? So if I, if I did not have any of that and all I did was desire someone of, of people of the same sex, I think I would possibly then say, well, I'm clearly I'm a homosexual. I'm not a heterosexual. But I think it would be a question to ask the person, why do you feel you identify that way? So I think it's a good question to ask. But to me, the issue ultimately is, right, exactly. Yeah, um, he, he may only desire a male relationship, right? That, that's all they desire. There's not even the hint of a desire for anything else. Can't even imagine. It's just, for example, for me, I could not imagine in a million years any kind of physical intimacy with someone of the same sex. I could not imagine it. I can't, I could not even, I can't even understand it because it goes against everything I am. But if I was sitting here and felt like, well, my desire is only for people of the same sex, I think I would end up calling myself a homosexual. I think I would I would have to identify that. To me, that's just being blatantly honest with what's going on inside. Now, I know some Christians are like, that's impossible. You can't be a Christian and desire that. And whenever I hear Christians say that, I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. So someone can't be saved. Someone can't be saved and only desire people of the same sex, but a heterosexual can be saved and desire all kinds of wrong things. I That makes no sense to me. I don't think it's biblical. I don't think it's logical. I don't think it's consistent. I, th I think the issue has to be what we do. Now, we have to fight against the desire. Please understand, from a sanctification perspective, Sanctification is the ongoing process where I am fighting with everything going on internally and I'm doing everything I can to prevent what would happen going on externally. But it's a battle. And I, I can't, I don't, look, let's just remove homosexuality from it. There are heterosexuals who desire all kinds of things, struggle with things and have weaknesses that I'm like, what's your issue? What's your problem? I don't understand that. And then there are issues with me, things I desire and struggle with that you wouldn't understand. So we don't have to understand each other's desires. We have to just acknowledge that we all have them. We all have these desires and these struggles. And then sanctification, I think the only way sanctification works is we have to first acknowledge what's going on inside Right? What's going? I'm not saying we have to turn on a microphone and stand behind the pulpit and tell everyone, "Hey, guess what, everyone? Here's what I've been desiring this week." But we have to at least acknowledge it with ourselves. Sometimes we may have to acknowledge it with someone close to us so that they can be of assistance. So we have to acknowledge the desire. Then it's the then we have to fight not only the desire, trying to hopefully replace those wrong desires with right desires but then trying to avoid those internal desires becoming external actions. That's the whole process of sanctification. But Christians have this really weird mindset that basically says, if you're a Christian, you can never have any struggle with homosexuality. Like, like becoming a Christian immediately removes the homosexual desire. And the number of homosexuals who have been so damaged and hurt by this nonsense is probably innumerable and we'll never truly know because they, this is how it works for them. You become safe. Well then stop desiring the same sex. Go find someone of the opposite sex and get married. And many of them try to pursue opposite sex relationships and they ultimately end up blowing up because it's, it's not who they are, but they're told you can't have the desire. Well, what? Why do we not place that same burden on every heterosexual? Hey, 
You, you become saved. You'll no longer desire sex before marriage. You'll no longer desire sex outside of your marriage covenant. You'll no longer desire this. You'll no longer desire that because all the wrong desires just magically go away. We do not place that burden on the heterosexual, but we place the burden on the homosexual. Get saved, boom, immediately. You're going to go from desiring men to women. Immediately, if you're a a, a lesbian, you're going to go from desiring another woman to desiring a man. Just overnight, it's just immediately, boom, it goes away. It doesn't work that way. (laughs) It doesn't work that way. Just like when I became saved, I didn't just magically, all my desires just, boom, okay. All I desire now is the Bible and God and prayer and church. I don't desire anything else. That's all I desire. It's just, no, I was like, because I became saved as a teenager and I was like, what? Okay, I still have lots of issues going on here and I still, this, and I struggle with this and then this and then this and this. And anyone listening to me, if you, if you have any ounce of honesty in your body, you would have to acknowledge that you have all kinds of things and desires inside of you that are not biblical. The issue is, should you be somehow, I don't know, disqualified, punished for that internal desire? Or should someone come along and go, wow, that internal desire, that's a dangerous one. We will have to work together on this, but we've got to do everything we can to keep that from becoming an external action. I'm going to back this up. We're going to back this up because I want you to hear this all again. I'm going to let it play a little bit further. Now, that is where I stopped it because whatever they say after really ultimately is irrelevant to me because they at least put forth the idea that at least in that particular denomination, they now have a rule basically saying if you identify as a homosexual, even if you're going to be celibate, you're disqualified. I would say, okay, so if you're a heterosexual and you have desires that are not biblical, then you should be disqualified. Everyone should have to acknowledge their internal desires. And then we make a rule that any internal desire that is not biblical disqualifies you. Therefore, his den- that denomination should no longer have anyone as a pastor. I'm calling for biblical consistency. Let's listen to it again affirmation of biblical sexuality, but also a call for church discipline for congregations that dissent. That was a startling story when it came out. As you know, the PCA, we had our General Assembly and made some pretty clear declarative statements concerning biblical sexuality, as well as the standards for ordination, and that anyone identifying as a gay Christian, even though they declare themselves celibate, Our overtures, which now must be approved through the presbyteries, declared that such are not qualified for ordination in the PCA. Well, we heard a number of other denominations that were making some pretty clear statements, but honestly, startlingly, was this overture within the Christian Reformed Church. Now, they just move right on past it. So they're not going to, they're going to move right on past it. I'm sorry, I I completely disagree. I I I don't I don't even apologize. I I I mean, people are going to get mad at me. I I just I I don't I do not understand this. So let me try to articulate my perspective as clearly as I can. Anyone who becomes saved, anyone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ, anyone who becomes a true child of God, they still have. And they will have, until glorification, a depraved, sinful nature. That nature consistently, constantly, 24-7, desires that which is unbiblical. It, it pushes you to 
exalt yourself. It, it, it pushes you to desire that which is unbiblical. It, desire, it, it pushes you not to love people the way you're supposed to love people. You don't love God the way you're supposed to love God. You, it is a constant source of internal desire and feelings and emotions and thoughts that are completely unbiblical. And you know it if you're willing to admit what's going on inside of you. That is the truth of every Christian, whether from the pulpit to the pew and everything in between. That is the reality. That is the reality. Now, if someone says, hey, I, I only desire relations with someone of the same sex. Okay. All right. Do you acknowledge that that is sinful? Yes. Do you acknowledge that that lifestyle is unbiblical? Yes. So what's your, I, what's your plan moving forward? I'm going to live a celibate lifestyle. It will be difficult and it will be a struggle, but that's what I will do because I understand that I cannot engage in that action. Okay, now, what can we do to help you? What can we do to support you? See, I don't believe I immediately say, no, 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 you're not a Christian. No, 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 you're disqualified. No, it just means that this person is going, is trying to now live out a biblical lifestyle in the face of unbiblical and unchristian desires on the inside. But here's the thing. That's not unique to a homosexual. That is true of every single one of us. Every single one of us would could have the same conversation. You're a believer now? Yes. Identify three or four desires, struggles that you have on the inside that are clearly struggles and desires for things that are not biblical, okay? I've got number one, I've got number two, got number three, and I've got number four. What's your plan? Well, I'm going to do everything I can to try to fight against those desires, and I'm not going to engage in that activity. In, in a sense, I'm going to remain celibate. I'm going to abstain from these actions to, my, to, to the best of my ability. Now, what do we do when people don't abstain from those things? Well, if they're heterosexuals, typically, maybe, for the most part, we will forgive and restore and move on. But we have this weird view that if it's the homosexual, the desire has to go away. The struggle has to instantaneously disappear. Why do we say that when we don't place that same standard on the heterosexual? We all are sinners. We all struggle. We all fall. We all have to get back up. Wouldn't it be better if we would all just acknowledge we're all sinners and how can we help one another? I can't expect a person becomes saved and their homosexuality immediately disappears. It's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. That's just insane. Now, if it works that way, praise God. Great. If they, if they, if they can truly honestly say, my desires have changed. Okay. That's wonderful. But I'm not, I, I think that in many cases, we're very naive in thinking that's the way it works. And then you've seen it. I, I don't know if you remember the very famous Christian singer. He had, I mean, his songs were sung in liberal churches and conservative churches, Ray Bolts. Um, man, he was, he was well known. And guess what? He was married, everything. And then after years, not, you know, songs that were very big in the Christian music world left his family and acknowledged that he was gay. All of those years, he struggled. Finally came out. Now, in his case, he left his family. In his case, he went and pursued the activity. He pursued the lifestyle. We're not talking about that. Pursuing the lifestyle would be sinful, just like if I pursued... You know, hey, I, I have a thing for prostitutes and I'm going to pursue prostitutes. Well, that would be, that would be obviously wrong. So the engagement in the lifestyle, clearly everyone can say that is wrong. Everyone can acknowledge the engagement in the lifestyle is sinful. Everyone can acknowledge that. But this seems to be a standard that says you can't even desire it. You can't even have feelings for it. Well, then that has to be applied to everyone. And we would all be disqualified. Can you imagine if we establish church discipline 
on the basis of internal desire? Hey, you're not engaging in the activity, but you've admitted to me that you struggle and that you have that desire. And well, guess what? You have to be church disciplined. Nobody would go for that for a second. Well, I, no, actually, some churches would. For homosexuals. I mean, I have heard, this was a very popular thing going around uh, maybe last year that basically if you cannot be a Christian and have homosexual desires, if you have homosexual desires, it proves you're not saved. That was, that was going around and very prominent preachers put forth that idea. And I was like, well, well, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So the heterosexuals can have unbiblical desires, but the homosexuals can't. I do not understand. Where do you get this even biblically? Where do you even get this biblically? And and one thing I always find interesting, because Christians, again, this whole thing started with me asking about what makes a, a worldview biblical. I just think it's interesting. All right? Because if you go to, to 1 Timothy 3, where you get the actual qualifications, 1 Timothy 3, if this, this is a true, a, a true saying, if a man desires the office, office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless. Okay. Well, blameless in what way? Blameless in internal desire or blameless in action? And even then, how do we completely understand it? it just, but, it, but it's pretty vague. Just going to be blameless. The husband of one wife. Again, there's not even agreement on this. Does this mean he has to be married or it just means he can only be married to one woman? Uh, how, do, how do we understand that? He did, uh, uh, see, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth his own house well. Now there's a lot and not a novice. There's, there's, there's a lot of things here, but there's a lot of things not mentioned. And so many times people will add things to this list and say, well, if you do this or do that, you're disqualified. And not only that, so wait a minute, you're telling me that pastors 24 seven are always blameless. You telling me that pastors are always vigilant, always so sober, always given to hospitality, all, uh, always uh, demonstrates that they're not a striker, they're not greedy, uh, they uh, are patient, they're not a brawler, and they're not covetous. They're, they're always, and they don't have a problem with pride. Now, I think you have to acknowledge that these things show up in the lives of pastors in different ways. And, 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 and what's interesting is in many of these things, people who these things may show up in the life of a pastor, you rarely see a pastor removed for one of these things. But then things not listed here, they'll be like, done, finished, get rid of, crucify, stone. And you'll just know there's nothing even mentioned about homosexuality in, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 3 or homosexual desire. Now you could say, well, there's something, it, it could fit into some of those categories. I know, but we add a lot there. What I'm saying is there are things there that people are not removed from the pulpit for. And there's things not listed there that people are removed from the pulpit for. So, so, and so we just add things and, and take away things on our, on our, just our own. I, I, I just think it's interesting what's not mentioned there and what is mentioned there. So, so I, I, I just have a hard time believing that you just make a rule that just says, Hey, if you have this specific desire, even if you're going to abstain from the action, you're disqualified. Well, by that, standard, and, and this is not even a desire mentioned in 1 Timothy 3. So by that standard, anyone who desires something that is wrong, well, they're not blameless because we're going to go with internal desire. Anyone who's not vigilant inside, they, they're, 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 they're not doing what they're supposed to do internally. They're kind of lazy. They're apathetic, whatever the case may be. They're, they're not sober. They're, they're, uh, inside, they are a striker. They get angry on the inside and they get mad. And inside, there's some serious greed and covetousness. Well, they would all be disqualified. That you think that tends to go more with the external behavior, not the internal desire, because the internal desires were all messed up. I think the issue about ordination would be okay. 
First of all, we appreciate your honesty that you identify as a homosexual, and we understand that to mean, we would ask for clarification, that you only desire a relationship with someone of the same sex. We appreciate your honesty and openness because that is the key to uh, uh, sanctification in the life of a believer. So thank you. We want you to know that we're here to help and assist you in every way possible. Tell us what to do. We will walk through this with you. We won't stand on the sideline pointing our fingers at you, but we will walk with you through it. All right. So so that's the first thing that you would have to have that discussion. Second, we'd be like, okay, and these would be the important questions. Do you believe the homosexual lifestyle is unbiblical and ungodly? Yes. Okay, well, great. We are in agreement there. And again, we will do everything we can to assist and help you with these desires that you are acknowledging are unbiblical and ungodly. What is your plan to move forward? I'm going to live a celibate lifestyle. I will abstain from the action. Well, praise God, we will do everything to assist you and help you. And we just want you to know you struggling with desires that are not biblical and trying to abstain from them is no different than the people here on the other side of this table interviewing you because everyone on this side of the table, we have our own desires, our own thoughts that are unbiblical, and we are constantly fighting to make sure we stay, in a sense, celibate and abstain from them. So we are alike just with different desires and different struggles. So if you will help us, we will help you, and then you move forward. And if someone becomes a Christian, right? They become a Christian and they, they come to you and say, hey, pastor, look, here's the situation. I believe in Christ and I believe in the Bible, but I only desire relations with someone of the same sex. I'm not going to tell them they're not a Christian. What, what, well, how could I do that? I'd be like, well, that's going to be a struggle. And I would look at them and go, hey, guess what? I profess faith in Christ and I'm a believer. And they'd be like, yeah, okay. And I said, guess what? I desire lots of things that are not biblical either. So we're the same, just with different desires. So we're going to have to work together. So I need you to help me and I'll do everything I can to help you. And I would say that from a pastoral, but I need you to help me. Because I need everyone to help me because I have a sinful, depraved nature. And I would do everything to help them. We are the same. Why is it like, no, you're in a different category. You are a leper. You are unclean. You, you cannot be saved and have that desire. But hey, all the rest of you, hey, all of you teenagers who have all kinds of desires that are, and hey, you, you know, man who's been married for 25 years and who's had struggles with pornography for 24 of the 25 years, you know, you're okay. But hey, that, that, oh, that person over there, they're, they're, they're the homosexual. They can't be saved. We're all sinners with a sin. And please know, we're not just, remember, this is very important. We're not sinners because we sin. We're sinners because of what we are. What we are is what leads to what we do. We do sinful things because we are sinners and our nature. And so that sin nature shows up in every person, but it doesn't always show up the same way. One person's sinful nature has them going one direction. I don't understand why that that's where they're going and what they struggle. I don't, you just, and you may not even understand. Just, just stop it. It's not that easy. Well, it shows up and another person, we're all together. What we have to, this is what we have to demand that you view your sinful desires from a biblical perspective, that you acknowledge when they're sinful, you acknowledge when they're wrong. You acknowledge when they're unbiblical. So that's the first thing we have to do. We have to acknowledge when our desires are sinful. Second, we have to then, we have to strive to fight against those desires so that the internal does not become the external. I think three, we have to do everything we can to try to replace those desires as much as possible with biblical desire, with godly desire. And that's, that's a very difficult one. And then next, I think we have to have a mutual love where we're trying to help one another. All right. 
I'll stop there. (laughs) Oh boy, this is going to be a long day because I'm going to get so many emails with people so upset. I have a feeling they're going to take things I said so far out of context. I tried to repeat myself in multiple different ways to get my point across. I tried to articulate my viewpoint. I believe my viewpoint is not only is it biblical, I believe it's logically consistent. And I believe it acknowledges the reality inside every heterosexual. You know the difference between a homosexual and a heterosexual? It's just the sins we commit. <laughs> because we're, we're both human beings created in the image of God, and we're both sinners. It's just different sins. I can't understand their sin. I'll just be honest. It makes no sense to me. I don't know how that happened. I have no idea. I don't even know. And listen, people say, well, they choose it. Well, if they choose it, that means I can choose it. And I can't choose it. It literally is physically not possible for me to choose that lifestyle. I don't understand. It's If they can choose, if you say they, and look, some may have chosen it. Look, that's the thing. You, I can't get into what they chose, what they wore. I, I can't get into that. That's so internal complicated. I just know that I can't choose it. That's what I know. I didn't choose to be heterosexual. Clearly, I was born that way. I don't remember at my age. I was relatively young. I was relatively young. And uh, we were at a Baskin Robbins, 31 flavors. And there was this girl, little girl. I mean, I was, I was little too, right? I was, I was a little boy. So make sure we understand this, okay? I was a little boy. And I was sitting there eating my ice cream and there was this little girl and I looked over and I was just like, wow. And I think my parents were trying to leave and they kept calling my name and I just kept saying, I was just staring at the little girl and they were like, what are you doing? And I I think I got all embarrassed, like nothing, nothing. It's all good. But I, I think it was very early on. I realized girls are pretty. I like girls. I, I didn't choose it. It just happened. It, no, there was nothing I had to like. This was the moment that I chose my heterosexuality. Well, I, I don't understand because I don't understand the other. Now, just because I don't understand it, I don't have to understand how, how sin shows up in the lives of other people, just like I can't necessarily always understand my sinful desires. I don't have to understand it. I just have to acknowledge we all have them and they show up in extremely different ways. So we're the only difference, let me say it again, between the, the homosexual and the heterosexual is just the sins we commit and the sins we desire. We're human beings creating the image of God with sinful natures. And salvation is the same for the homosexual and the heterosexual. Faith in Jesus Christ, trusting in the imputed righteousness. And when we become saved, guess what is true of the homosexual and the heterosexual? Immediately, all of our wrong desires do not go away. Immediately, all of those things don't go away. I know someone's going to email me and go, no, you misunderstand. The Bible says that if you're in Christ, you're a new creature. Old things passed away. All things have become new. If you truly believe that's true practically, that would mean the eradication of the old nature from everyone because everything would have to be new and the old would have to be gone. But you know you still have the sinful nature. I know I, I still have the sinful nature. So that clearly can't be what that verse is saying. That verse is saying, number one, that is true of us positionally. Before God, I'm a new creature. The old is gone. Everything is new. And guess how I am to view fellow believers as new creatures. And I see them not through the lens of their practical unrighteousness, but I see them now through the lens of the imputed righteousness that's been given to them by faith. So for the homosexual and the heterosexual, we are both creating the image of God. We are both sinners, and the only difference between us is the sins we commit. When we become saved, we are saved by the imputed righteousness of Christ. And guess what? Our sinful nature and sinful desires still persist. Now we engage in the process of sanctification, where we try to fight against those sinful natures, struggle against them, uh, try to keep them from becoming external action, and doing everything we can spiritually to grow 
so that maybe some of those those internal desires will be replaced with more biblical and godly desires. I don't know why everyone makes such a major distinction between the homosexual and the heterosexual. I, I, I just see sinners. You can email me. Do I really want to give out my email address after this episode? Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. I do not want anyone to email me accusing me of excusing the lifestyle or saying that it's biblical. I have made it very clear it's ungodly and it's unbiblical, just like many of the desires and struggles that I may have that are unbiblical and ungodly. So please don't accuse me of that. Just I look at the standards and I and I just don't see where people impose standards where there's no standards. My favorite one, I'll just my favorite one is one like, hey, look, David committed murder, he committed adultery, but he didn't get to build the temple. See, see, that's the qual that's he got disqualified. God disqualified him. See? So now we apply that to when a pastor does something, he's disqualified. You need to think that through for a couple of seconds. Because one, David committed murder, adultery. Some would even go so far as say it was rape, okay? And then guess what? Yeah, he didn't get to build the temple. He just got to write inspired scripture. I mean, come on. He, he wrote the hymn book of the Bible, the, uh, an adulterer and a murderer. We wouldn't let that man get near anything in the church, in, in some churches. But here's what people seem to forget. But who did build the temple? How many, how many women did Solomon have? I think he took David's adultery and times it by, I don't know, a couple of thousand? A, a little bit of hyperbole there. Polygamist, adulterer, who becomes an idolater. Oh, yeah, and he got to write inspired scripture too. We seem to forget that, don't we? Now, is David's actions excused? Absolutely not. Are Solomon's actions excused? Absolutely not. Should both be condemned? Absolutely. Should both be avoided? Absolutely. Why? But God demonstrated mercy and grace and that their salvation wasn't based upon their action, but was based upon their imputed wretchedness. That's why Paul uses David in his argument about being saved by faith alone in the book of Romans. I wonder why he would use David. Yeah, that would make pretty good sense. Because if David's salvation had anything to do with his actions, he wouldn't have been saved. All right. Newsif at yahoo.com. I will await the fallout from this live broadcast. I'm assuming I'm already receiving emails. They're going to be pretty mean and they're going to be pretty disagreeing. But I'll let you know what the results are possibly later today. Thanks for listening. God bless.